Hey, what's up, everybody? We're back for turn-based episode eight, and uh, we have a new cast for this episode. So uh, we got Richard Bailey here. He's never been on the show before. How are you doing, Rich? He has one time, actually. Hey, what's up, listeners? How's it going, guys? All right, everyone else, introduce yourself. <laughs> hey, what's up? Um, I spoke too soon, so you already know I'm here. Um, Scary Ace Swaby from the Coalition. Happy to be here. This is going to be a really exciting show. I hope everybody enjoys it. Hey, everyone. This is Asad Quadri. It's nice to be back on Turn-Based again. And let's talk about some more RPGs. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, we're just going to talk about what everybody's been playing. I guess I'll go first. Um, as everyone should know by now, probably, I uh, posted my review for Kingdoms of Amor Reckoning. Mm-hmm. I thought that game was fantastic. It's really great. The combat's fast and fluid. The story is really well explained, and it's deep, and the world is really immersive. And They did a great job creating the world, and I think R.S. Salvatore just did a wonderful job. I hope he works on more games in the future. And um, I just read the combat is really what's so fresh for me. Because usually when you play an RPG or an action RPG, it's the combat tends to be a little bland, or you just kind of walk up to an enemy and click attack, and you get mm. your loot, then you kind of rinse and repeat. But this one has like an actual combo system. You got different weapons you can mix and match together. There's different abilities. There's it's all it's all really crazy to play with a mage, but be able to get up and close and personal with an enemy. It's really pretty cool. And so I really enjoyed it a lot. So it's a bit like Fable, if Fable wasn't crap. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. (laughs) Fable plus God of War minus the suck. (laughs) Well well put. So no QTE or nothing? uh, There's a little bit. It's, um, whenever you go into, uh, I think it's called Fate Shift mode, where it's it's kind of like you just activate your badass meter, where you can kill stuff really quickly, and then um, at the end of it, you can use your ability on a, one enemy, and what it does is it has like a scripted scene. There's like five or six different animations where you kill them in a really dramatic fashion, like God of War, and you push a button that it tells you. So I played on PC, so it was either the left mouse button, the right mouse button, or space bar, and you tap it, and uh, if you can tap it enough during that few-second interval, then you get bonus experience based on how many times you can push it. And so it's kind of cool. It's really good to use whenever there's a big group of enemies because it'll multiply the entire experience you get from all the enemies, not just the one you kill. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's if you use it pretty liberally like you're supposed to because it fills up really fast, You can leveling up is really easy because that thing is really, really powerful. Yeah, I've I got to get that game, man, but... Um... You know, I'll probably get it after, you know, after Mass Effect 3 and everything. Because, you know, another RPG, I'm going to need to dedicate a lot of time to it. So I want, yeah, it's, it I want my massive. schedule to be free. Amongst many. <laughs> yeah, it's a very massive game. How I was very it, surprised. How long did it take you to beat that? To get through the main quest, about 30 hours, probably. And that's without even really doing any side stuff, hardly. I tried to focus almost exclusively on the main quest. Mm-hmm. And my quest log has dozens of side quests and faction quests. Because that's another thing. It has factions like Skyrim. I didn't really expect that. I thought it was going to be a pretty linear experience. But the world is huge. And there's like uh, four or five different houses. There's all the side quests you can do. The 
different areas. The environments are so varied. It's not like, you know, like a fable game or like a divinity or something where it's all pretty much one type of environment the whole time. It's yeah. very, very varied. Like you'll go into a desert that looks like something out of like a Disney movie. It's really colorful. Then you'll go into a swamp that's really dark and kind of, you know, more scary and morbid. And then you go into a forest that's more alive. And there's a lot of different environments. Todd McFarlane did a great job. So the game is very linear when it comes to the environments, but it feels and looks so expansive that you can literally get lost, even if it was, if you, even if it's not an open world RPG. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the environments are sort of closed off. They're not, um, you have to go through different zones and, and stuff like that. So each area is sort of its own environment, but they're all tied together with the story so well that you don't even notice. Mm, sounds interesting. Yeah, I, I was a very big fan. I was, I was already excited and the game even surpassed what I was expecting. So I think everyone should check that one out. And, um, the second game that I've been playing recently is The Witcher. Mm, excellent uh, game. That game came out back in 2007, but I just never got around to playing it because I never had much of a PC that could play games. And I bought it a while ago when it was on sale on GOG. And uh, so I have the Enhanced Director's Cut Edition. And so that game's really interesting, I'll say. For the first couple hours, the combat, I couldn't really get myself to enjoy. It's kind of different, but also kind of bland at the same time. It's kind of hard to explain. You you just kind of click the mouse and rhythm with the icon that shows up on the screen, sort of. Yeah, I kind of felt that way, too, when I was playing The Witcher, when I played it a while ago. Yeah, it did feel a bit like a a quick-time event. You had to have your mouse clicks exactly the right time, otherwise you won't be able to perform the second animation to his attack. But the thing about it is that it looked really good, because all the attacks that he does are motion-captured, and they look... Oh, fancy with expert swordplay. You don't really mind that. It's actually kind of fun to watch him just spin around and slash his sword in multiple directions. So I, I kind of forgave the combat system because it kind of looked flashy, even though it didn't play as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, after I played it for a while, it kind of grew on me, and I started to just kind of... The combat wasn't really the focus, I could tell, and I appreciated that because... The characters are so so detailed, and the, there aren't really a whole lot of options as far as dialogue goes, you know, like Mass Effect or anything, but you get to make decisions that have repercussions later on. It's not like Fallout where you get, you know, plus five good guy points, or Mass Effect where you get, like, you know, negative four and you get renegade points or anything like that. It's more kind of everything's in a gray area, and the decisions you make aren't, like, clearly good or clearly bad. They're just... You know, maybe it's the lesser of two evils, or maybe, you know, you don't like this faction, so you're going to make a decision that hurts them, or something like that. I somewhat somewhat like it that way, because, you know, in Mass Effect, for example, you know, people know what their decision will lead to. You know, they know, okay, if I choose this, it's bad. If I choose this, it's good. But, you know, I like where it makes you really think about your answer on another level instead of just, okay, this is good, this is bad. You know, because sometimes there is no right or wrong. Like, you just have to make a decision, and it will affect the world in different ways. Yeah, exactly. I hope more games kind of take this and employ that into their series, because I think it would be really, really nice to have more games that use this kind of black and 
black and white isn't existent. You know, it's all gray area type thing. Yeah. Well, I think what CD Projekt did amazingly with that game is the setting itself. I mean, it's a very adult-themed fantasy world, which not many gamers are used to seeing. I mean, it deals with a lot of uh, issues that we deal with today, political strife, prejudice, sexual lust, and segregation of races. Segregation of the races? Yeah, actually, it's one of the RPGs that we actually need that shows the the, uh, the reflection of re- everyday life. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, I was surprised. I, I read that uh, first The Witcher 2 had sold really well last year, which I thought was great. But also the first one, The Witcher itself, sold well last year as well. It sold like 600,000 copies last year, and it came mm-hmm. out in 07. So, I mean, uh-huh. I guess people are responding. They like this game, so. Yeah, I, yeah, I do have a quick question. Uh-oh. Somebody that is going to be picking up Witcher 2. When it comes out on 360 in April, would you say it is required that I play the first one? No, not at all. The Witcher 2, yeah, it does pick up where Witcher 1 left off, but it will give you an entirely new setting with an entirely new platform. And then pretty much um, you will be kicked off from The Witcher 2 in a whole new setting, really, even (laughs) though it does carry on for where Witcher 1 left off. So you won't be missing anything. You'll even be brought to speed with, with what? Into the first version game. If you hadn't imported, if you well, you can't do it on the console. But on PC, you can port your Witcher One save and port it to Witcher Two. Okay, cool, cool. All right, yeah, that's good to know. All right, so uh, I know you've been playing uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen too, Gary. You want to talk about that some? Yeah, definitely. All right, so um, I reviewed this game. It's, the review's on the site, so definitely check it out. So let's start with Final Fantasy Thirteen real quick. So that game came out in, like, what was it, 2009, was it? Or 10? No, it was 10, yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't the best Final Fantasy game. Like, it disappointed a lot of loyal and dedicated Final Fantasy fans. Uh, it was pretty linear. There was no towns or, you know, nothing expansive like that. So Square Enix, you know, they wanted to put out something to where, you know, the fan base would be happy with it again so they decided to make final fantasy 13 2 now the game is what can i say it's um it, it does improve upon a lot of things you know from final fantasy 13 specifically the combat the grinding and you know the all the extra bonus stuff that you can do in the game like there is a lot of there's a ton of side things you can do actually and um, the storyline is dealing with time travel as well. So you can go back and forth through time and discover new things and solve different paradoxes. You know, it's it's pretty interesting, the stuff you can do on the side. My problem is the presentation and the story. Now, the story is like it takes a completely different direction. And really, it has little to do with the events of Final Fantasy thirteen itself. Um you know, it, it feels like a throwaway time travel plot that they got from somewhere. It just doesn't fit together well. And the dialogue is awful. Like, it's cringeworthy at some points, the things they say in the game. I, I would like to play play the Japanese version just to see, you know, like, what the dialogue is like. Because I'm sure it will be but, a lot more authentic in that way. But Well, that's pretty kind of typical of Japanese RPGs, don't you think? They're, they're never written very well. They don't make much sense. 
yeah. unless you really read into the law or a really dedicated Weibo kind of just translates the read just translate the story just like that because they watch so much anime. Yeah, it, I mean you're right. Like in general, it's never really you know spot on. But there have been previous Final Fantasy games where the dialogue is pretty acceptable. You mm. know, the, the English dialogue like, is well, acceptable. Like even in Final Fantasy 13, the dialogue was acceptable. But in this, it's just terrible. Like some of the things they say. <laughs> Can you give an example? Like, uh, I can't think of a specific example, but it's just like. It's it's so the the things they say is like so obvious like like uh let me think of something like English <laughs> <laughs> like you'll be fighting a boss or something and you know you'll be like oh my god he's so powerful how can we stop him you know oh, just god. just stuff like that it's like oh my god like this is just terrible. And they throw in, like, little stupid references, like, jokes and stuff to do with the whole time travel. And it's like, you don't need to keep reminding me that, you know, this is a time travel plot. <laughs> like, we know. Stop throwing in those little jokes. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, it, it just feels like they wrote it in, like, you know, 10 days or something. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, overall, it's the, it's the side stuff that makes this game, um... I wouldn't even really recommend it, like, unless you're a dedicated Final Fantasy fan who likes to play every game. Um, you know, I would not recommend it to you, even if you played Final Fantasy thirteen, because it really has little to do with it. I mean, there are some characters that come back and they make references to some things in the past that happened. Um, but overall, I mean, you can do without playing this game. You know, um, unless you really just want to play a JRPG and, you know, there's not much else out there at the moment. So, to sum it up, it's really just a fan service for the Final Fantasy fans who are disappointed with yeah. 13 oh, and, and let, wanted something improved. Yeah, exactly. And let me talk about some of the things they tried to add as well. Because they tried to add some things that you would see in, like, a Mass Effect game or something. Um, first of all, their live trigger system which is basically the conversation system. I don't know why they named it, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically it allows you to make choices somewhat like through dialogue or, you know, try and you can speak to people and, you know, you can say different things to get different answers from them or, you know, just different information from them. But it really just doesn't work well because the things that you actually you know get from the person aren't relevant enough anyway so it's like it it's just it just feels like it was thrown in for the hell of it like it feels like they did some research played mass effect or something and you know for hey we, we should add this kind of interactive conversation experience into our game and you know they threw <laughs> it in and it really has no relevance to the whole thing anyway like it just feels slapped, it just feels slapped on and also they they added quick time events which really oh don't they don't add much to the game um i mean there's like it's mostly when you kill bosses and stuff and uh, also like in the combat you you have monsters that can fight with you and they have special moves which are you know pulled off with quick time events and um but i mean the thing is 
the frame rate usually goes to shit when you do these quick time events. Mm. A lot of so, things go to shit when you do quick time events. <laughs> no, I mean it can be done right though. Like I, I know a lot of people don't like God of War, but it's done right in that game. The whole quick yeah, time events. Yeah. But in Final Fantasy thirteen two, it's just like when you try and finish up a boss, the frame rate goes to shit. Like it's just. And it's so slow that it's not even a challenge as well. Like, you can easily pull off the quick time event. Like, I don't feel challenged at all. Yeah, but if it's in slow motion, then it's better, right? <laughs> what? If it's in slow motion, it's better. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know why they try to add these things. I mean, maybe in future games, they can improve upon you know, these different mechanics that they try to add. But they really add nothing to this game. I don't see why they added them. But... Alright, so let's see. Next, uh, what everyone here has been playing pretty much is the Mass Effect 3 demo. So um, I guess, Rich, you haven't really talked yet. So what do you think? What do you think about the demo? <laughs> Alright, well, let me start off by saying this. As far as Mass Effect 3 is concerned, I know that there's a growing concern over people who were very disappointed with the game, very disappointed with the combat. But the thing is this, it's not like this was a surprise at the last minute. I knew with Mass Effect 2 how they were going to change things up, and I knew to expect more going into 3. So kind of, you know, when I finally got a chance to play the demo, I will say first off, you know, playing that first chapter, it's like uh, I kind of regret playing it all together because I want to play more of the game. So it's kind of like it was a teaser in terms of what you can expect. Um, as far as the story is concerned, uh, I knew going in that this story was going to be, you know, epic scale to the extent that there would be like a lot of people will probably will probably get killed at some point. It's going to be a lot of twists and turns, and then, I mean, this is a huge war-type story. So, you know, from that standpoint, I absolutely don't have any issues with the story so far. Um, I think it is, the, I, you know, it's pretty much what I expected. Uh, yes, there was a major emphasis over, you know, when it had the three different methods in which you can play the game, which I didn't understand at all together, because... We already know that uh, the game is meant to be played one way. That's the RPG mode, not the action or uh, story mode mm. as they had displayed. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, I'm really not happy that they even added the action and story mode because the game should not be played that way. Like, why, why does it have to have action and RPG? What, so they can get a couple casual gamers into the series or something? Yeah. We just give us the game the way it's supposed to be played, like RPG mode. I mean, that's what they did for the previous two games. Why change everything now? Yeah, it's it's like they never even had any faith in themselves that they couldn't deliver a product that everybody wanted. That's why they have to give the three choices, because um, one choice, there's only one choice for Mass Effect, and that's role-playing. Yes, it has guns. Yes, it has third-person cover-based chest behind, high behind chest, high wall shooting. But, you know, it's giving us a story to play. It's giving us this expansive, wonderful universe with so many memorable characters. 
I don't want to glance all over that. I want to look into it. I want to look into the read the law. I want to look into the law from the in the game that it shows me. I don't want to read stuff from the codex. I want to read stuff online on the web. Um, yeah. I don't want it to be Ghost Recon in space. I want it to be Mass Effect, one of the greatest role-playing games of all time. But not many people will want to experience that because that's why, um, you know, they've been given three choices. They just want a shooter, which is all well and good. But I don't know how the Mass Effect fans that stuck with Bioware for quite a while is going to react to how they've changed quite a bit. I mean, in Mass Effect 2, the changes weren't bad at all. They took out the micromanagement, which was really good, which I liked that because it's not a dungeon crawler. You don't have to prepare your men to go into a dungeon and start hacking things with the correct <laughs> weapons, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I agree with all those points that you said. Um, one thing I will say about the uh, actual weapons that you use, I kind of felt like some of the guns were a little improved when it came to actually firing off shots. I don't know if any of you guys experienced that. Um, so, I mean, I applaud them for that. But but there is one complaint that I have to, you know, address. And I know, like, like now, once again, it was said time and time again that this was totally optional, but I still do not fully believe that. The addition of multiplayer, you know, uh, when I actually got a chance to play it as part of the, a part of the demo, you know, that's pretty much Gears of War in space, you know, horde mode once again, except for now you have teams. And, you know, I really was thinking to myself, you know, a lot of games rip off that concept of having that type of multiplayer experience. I really don't know that Mass Effect needed that. You know, I, I believe when we, when, the game first came, when it was first mentioned about multiplayer, I was one of the people that said, you know, this is supposed to be about Shepard, the main story experience with him, so I really don't understand why they would add multiplayer. But then the fact that EA is involved and how much they love those online passes and charging people 10 extra bucks for those that buy a game used, yeah. that, that, well, that pretty much answered the question for me right there. So but, as far as the online, like, is it just like a survival mode or something? Or, well, I mean, it, it, that's what it pretty much is. Yeah, you you have your team of squad members that you are teaming up with, and you know, of course, by playing through that, you get to level up the characters, and also based upon how you, you know, as you're playing through the campaign, you also unlock things as well. So I'm not really sure why they said that, uh, you know, it was totally optional when it's as if you still have to play the regular game to access a lot of other things that have to do with the multiplayer as well. Because anybody that buys the game, it, you know, it's not really optional. You, you get that pass anyway. So yeah. it's kind of like you being forced to play multiplayer regardless. Even if you decide not to play it, you still paid to play it. No, that sucks. So, that is just <laughs> really bad. I don't like EA's practice in business. And again, who does? The video game industry can do that to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, EA's influence on, you know, the Mass Effect series has really been evident. But, mm. hey, you know, I mean, it's still the franchise that we love and we want to see it, you know, we want to see it finish. So And finish it in style. Finish yeah. it, to, well, yeah, finish it in style, basically. Finish it how Mass Effect should be finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, finish the fight. 
finish the fight. <laughs> I'm not scared of the Reapers anymore. Well, yeah. What what are those? What 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 are those? Those uh these new villains? These new uh creatures that you're firing off at? Oh, you, you know, mean those hulking great starships? It's like some blob type characters that oh, you're shooting at. Those are husks. Those oh, are, husks, are probably yeah. Krogan husks. Husks, yeah. but uh, yeah, they have they shoot at you, don't they? Yeah, they look different than they did in part one. They have the human husks there too. It's just that you see other variations of husks because the Reapers have uh, controlled other species as well as humans. I got you. I got you. Yeah, at the beginning of the Mass Effect Three demo, you fight the human husks uh, that are like the ones in the first game. But then later on, you see the ones for different species, like the Krogan, like you were saying. Mm. So, Dave, um, what did you think of the demo? Uh, I didn't play a whole lot of it for the for the reason that Rich was saying. I didn't want to spoil it, really. But from what I did play, the multiplayer is pretty much like you said. It's, it feels like Gears of War in space, and that's not really, I mean, a bad thing. But you can definitely see EA's influence. Um, I'm I'm kind of excited to try it out with some friends and just see kind of if it stays fun or not. Um, I have a feeling it's going to get old fast, and I'm just going to want to play the single player more. Yeah. Um, is there no adventuring in the multiplayer? I haven't actually tried it yet. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's not. No, not at all. Ah, crap. And um, so for the single player, uh, I'm not really a fan of what they did to Ashley's face. <laughs> <laughs> she she looks like Michael Jackson now. And <laughs> I, I don't know if I like that. So uh, we'll see how that ends up then. She, she had surgery, man. I can see that. Yeah, what's with those characters? <clears throat> not just Ashley. What's with all the characters models? They look like zombies who've been dried up in the sun. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of noticed that. I, I'm hoping that's not how it is at launch, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. Then, um, for the for the gameplay, it seems like they really have tried to embrace, you know, more action centered approaches instead of making it more tactical, which is what I was hoping they would do. But they made it just more action-heavy. I noticed you have objectives now where you hit a button to show up your objectives, and you have to follow your commanders around, like Call of Duty style. And I don't really know how I feel about that. But, I mean, as long as they retain all the decisions and the story elements from the first two games and just carry it over, then I'm going to be satisfied. But as of now, I don't expect to be blown away. Yeah, I, I just hope, like, the story elements don't suffer too much from you know all this beefing up of the action elements that they did yeah exactly well hopefully not but but i i will add graphically i know that there were some complaints about the graphics yeah i do not believe that that it needs to be a little bit more polish and mm. perhaps that's not the uh perhaps it wasn't fully polished for the demo purposes well we'll see in the, in a few weeks in two weeks we'll see What's the deal with that? Yeah. Is there any, any more to say about the demo? I haven't actually played it yet because I've been finishing off the Mass Effect 2 DLC before I jump in. But oh, yeah. Speaking of, I finished all that. <laughs> it was good, right? Yeah. Oh, Arrival was so intense. Mm. Oh, my God. I cannot... See, that alone has reinst- reinstated my excitement. After I played the demo, I was a little, eh. But then I played Arrival, and oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Lair of the Shadow Broker was good, too. Some of that dialogue between Lyara and Shepard was hilarious. 
<laughs> whenever they're yeah, whenever they're breaking into the compound, oh my, that's so funny. Your shepherd's like, man, don't you miss the days when you could just slap Omni Gel on everything? Yeah, that, that was hilarious. <laughs> and then, and then Lara comments on the waves. She's like, oh yeah, you know, I don't see why they're all attacking in different groups. If they just rushed us at once, it would be a lot more effective. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And she, like, because I had a romance with Liara in the first game, and then, like, in the second game, I got with Tali, and she was, like, when I was flirting with her, she was, like, nowadays you've been trying to get under Tali's helmet. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know what, though? That that right there, that, that, that's one thing that I, that, that I uh, find very suspicious, how when you try to have those relationships, it's like the other characters know you already in a, in a relationship or trying to talk to somebody, so they instantly shoot you down. Yeah, I mean, you know, news, news spreads, man. People gossip, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Commander yeah. Shepard, everyone knows what he's been doing. Come on. I, I, blame, I blame Edie, like, she's everywhere, so... <laughs> 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 that makes sense. I, yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Um, now that we've covered what everyone's been playing, we can move on to the news. Uh, keeping with the Mass Effect motif, uh, I'm sure everyone might have heard about this. If not, then this will be news for you that last week they actually launched some copies of Mass Effect 3 into outer space. Mm. And they're floating down around the world right now. And if you can locate a copy, then you get it free about a week early. So uh, what do you guys think about all this and some of the... I know I've heard some news about some of the places they've landed, some weird places. Uh, what do you guys think about all this? Um, that's quite a marketing scheme. It is an exciting one. It's not one that's been done before with gaming. They want to show that it is an, that Mass Effect is an epic space opera. It's been, in a way, gifted from outer space, from the heavens, rather. Um, this is... Um, this is, I think this is something Bioware would think of because uh, they uh, gave us Baldur's Gate 2, but they didn't have to launch it into space. They gave us um, uh, Neverwinter Nights. They didn't launch it into space. <laughs> yeah, that would have been weird. <laughs> well, I mean, at the same time, those games don't make sense. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe if they put it in a code of chain mail and give it to you, that would make sense. <laughs> I mean... Or hit him in some, RPG they should have hit him in some like random caves or something. Yeah, <laughs> and you have to go dungeon hunting against yeah. real monsters. Or if you kill a certain wolf, then it coughs it up after you kill it as the loot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do like the idea of Mass Effect Three being launched into space. It sounds like a fun, a fun sort of marketing scheme. I don't know how many people are going to actually get their hands on a copy. I hope they've actually planned. So where they, these things are going to... Well, good estimation of where these things are going to land. Event oh. to a country where there's people that can play consoles. I think Rich knows a little bit about this. What, what do you think? Well, let me just say this. Yeah, it's a great PR uh, marketing scheme, but, uh, yeah, they needed to plan it out a little bit better because I've heard two instances, one in which some copies landed, you know, they landed right on the top of a high tree, and then you had people who they really didn't try to climb the tree because the tree was just it's, it's too high up. So they were trying to throw things to knock to knock it off the tree. <laughs> um, I don't really know if they were quite successful with that. And then they had another instance where some copies 
landed outside, you know, in in a undisclosed desert area. So, you know, uh, some of these places were not really easy to reach. I mean, they have information on their website in which you can track where it lands at, but I just think they could have maybe planned this a little bit better in terms of trying to figure out where it was going to land. I know they just didn't want it to be, you know, total surprise factor. Um, But to me, it's like, you know, it's a little crazy for them to just, uh, for you know, because I I do imagine there will be some more stories, you know. Just give it a couple more days, there'll be some more ridiculous places that these copies end up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm moving on here. Wait, 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 something just landed in my back garden. Hold on, I'll be back. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, wow, I wonder what it could be. Of course, the one guy that hasn't played the demo gets it early. <laughs> we get the demo, he gets the full game. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that right. definitely sounds like... It sounds like a great marketing scheme, but it's like... It should definitely be more controlled to, you know, the areas that they land and stuff. But how exactly do they track that? Like, that's what I want to understand. Maybe there's some chip on the game. Oh, that brings up another thing. If you find that copy, does that mean that BioWare and EA can track where you're at at all times? <laughs> oh, bloody hell. It's Looks Origin like in space. No, they can't do that. Yeah, sure they can. They've done it with Origin. Origin well, scanned your... Yeah. Well, initially when Origin was released, they scanned your computer for anything that you were doing. Oh, oh wow. Oh, that's not going to work there, buddy. Yeah. Oh, hell's no. I remember you they changed me about some that. things. They made it a little less scary now. But when Origin was came to the market to compete with Steam, people were pissed that EA was allowed was allowed to scan your computer for things they don't like. Yeah, it was literally by definition spyware mm. on your computer. And another thing, if you went a year without playing a game or launching Origin, it would take that game away from you. What? Oh my! You would God. not have rights to play the game anymore. I think they've removed that now, but that's how it was. The fact they even did that is like, why would you do that? Like, that doesn't make sense. You bought a game, like you, they want to you should be able to get... in the gaming industry. Yeah, there was some stipulation in the licensing agreements for all the games that you never actually owned it. You were just like, leasing the rights to play it, and they could take it away if you didn't play it after a certain amount of time. Well, if that's the case, why are those prices so damn high, then? Like, oh, I, you know. I have no idea. But, yeah, I mean, at least it's fixed now. But I've been hesitant to get Origin anyway. But, you know, we'll see. All right, so uh, we'll get back to Mass Effect 3 in just a few minutes, but uh, moving on to some other stuff. Uh, I know that we talked about Xenoblade Chronicles, on previous episodes about how that's finally getting a U.S. release. Mm-hmm. Well, um, among those other Japan RPG games for the Wii that have been talked about and weren't getting U.S. releases, the last story has been confirmed to be getting a release in the U.S. And um, so, I mean, it's kind of too little too late. I mean, the Wii is pretty much phasing out. They're getting ready for the Wii U. But at the same time, I'm, I'm happy to see that this game's coming because I've heard good things about it. It's supposed to be really good. Uh, I mean, the market's in need of some good Japanese RPGs. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing that Xenoblade Chronicles and Last Story are going to be coming. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, no one's really, no one really cares at this point, which is unfortunate. But I, I, I'll check it out. I'm excited to see how it ends up. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, the Last Story, it, it is an, R, an RPG that 
the market for people who like Japanese RPGs, they really do feel as if they need this this um, game in the market because not me. I'm not probably going to get a lot of hate comments for this, but there are, I have the Nintendo Wii, and only a few good games come out of it every now and then. Well, yeah, and exactly. I think everyone would agree with that. The last story, it's one of those RPGs that, yeah, it stands on its own. It's got one hell of a... I mean, yeah, it's got one hell of a following in Japan already. It's got perfect ratings in places like Famitsu Magazine. And, yeah, high rated in Japan. And uh, the last story, if it comes out on the Wii, it'll give the Wii owners Japanese RPG to be proud of. Like Xenoblade, this and Xenoblade Chronicles. And honestly, like the Wii needs something, like because I don't, I don't really see. Well, someone choking over there. I'm good. Okay, yeah, but I mean, I don't really see any reason for somebody to want to turn on their Wii right now. So they need these games, in my opinion. And I know, I mean, I know everyone's speculating about Wii U at the moment, so a lot of people are probably just waiting for that. But still, you know, you have the Wii sitting in your house, and you need mm. you need a reason to pick up that controller and play, because you spent your money on it. Yeah, I mean, after I played Zelda, I let my friend borrow it so he could play Zelda, mm. and it's been packed up in a bag since he gave it back <laughs> around the beginning of January. I have really? no real desire to play it right now, because there's just too many other good games on other systems, and it it doesn't have anything keeping it relevant, so... Yeah, that's a shame, because Legend of Zelda is considered one of the greatest game series of all time. It's hard to believe someone would actually put a Legend of Zelda game down. But yeah, like I said, probably people are losing interest in the Wii now, and only decent games like The Last Story and Xenoblade Chronicles are coming out during its later stages until the, the Wii U comes out. I mean, I'd like to play Last... I'd even like to play The Last Story sometime. It's got a bunch of interesting characters. I like the idea of these nice mercenaries, <laughs> if there is such a thing, that involve you into something bigger than missions. It's got nice character development, and it's got a great setting. Like I said, the graphics are pretty impressive, considering that the Wii is very limited. I'd like to see something from the last story, and hopefully this won't mean the end of the Wii's gaming cycle. We might be able to see some, even some more AAA titles out. So much like the last story for Nintendo Wii. Alright, yeah, I mean, I agree. I hope it uh, turns out well. Um, and so, speaking of other systems here, uh, the PlayStation Vita just launched, and uh, I know a lot of people are excited about that, but at the same time, there's one thing that's pretty lacking at launch, and that's uh, quality RPG titles. Um, here in the U.S., the only RPG that launched was Dungeon Hunter Alliance, which is kind of an action, dungeon-crawling, uh, hack-and-slash game. But uh, it launched at $40, and that same game is available on iOS for a lot cheaper and on PSN for, I think, $12. So I'm not sure what they were trying to do with that. It mm. seems a little odd, and I don't really know if anyone's going to buy that if they did their research. So... I'm not really sure what they were planning to do, but uh, I have hope for RPGs on the Vita because the PSP had a ton of them. Yeah. And uh, if they can get some quality RPGs out early and get the momentum going, then more people will play it. 
I know for one thing, uh, Final Fantasy X is coming to the Vita, which is going to be awesome. Yeah. Yo, I'm really yeah. looking forward to playing that again. So yeah, we talked about that some last time. Or the remake. Remastered. I believe it's just a remastering, yeah. Just kind of HD updated and stuff. Other than that, everything else is the same as the PS2 copy. Yeah, yeah for, from game, what I've heard for the most part. Gameplay will be the same, it's just, you know, they're enhancing the graphics and stuff to, you know, upscaling it, basically. And they're touching up the CGI scenes a little bit, a little bit as well. Uh, another game that I'm really looking forward to is uh, Warrior's Lair. It used to be called Ruin. Uh, that game's looking awesome because uh, what you do is it's an hack and slash action RPG, kind of similar to Dungeon Hunter Alliance and Diablo and all that kind of stuff. But oh, it's really unique because what you do is you set up your own lair that is uh, kind of you know your domain where you can set different traps and you can design it and have your have uh, your own minions that defend it, and then other players can invade your lair. And try to take it over, and if they do, then they get certain loot and get bonuses and stuff. And so I think it's a kind of cool dynamic to add a little, to add a little bit of, uh, you know, interaction with other players. Hopefully they add some co-op too. That'd be really fun. Sorry, it seems which, like a really cool idea. Sorry, which game was this? It's called Warrior's Lair. Okay. Another great thing that they're doing is I think if you buy one copy of it, you own it for PS3 and Vita. And so you can, if you're playing it on Vita, you can, you know, just pause it and uh, immediately pick up where you're at on the PS3 and vice versa. Oh, wow. That's, see, that's, that's what makes the Vita, like, you know, worthy of having, if you have a PS3, you know, just the fact that you can, you know, a lot of the games are going to be interactive with both consoles. So you can do one thing on your PS3 and then carry it on on the Vita when you're outside. So Yeah, exactly. Especially with a game like this, you know, that's kind of meant to be played in short bursts and it's kind of, yeah. you know, little dungeons and you can play it for a few minutes and level up some, then, you know, suspend it. And then when you're on the bus, you know, play on your Vita a little bit more. Then exactly. when you get like, back home, you can play it a little bit. And That kind of feature is amazing for RPGs as well because, like, especially RPGs where you need to grind a lot. Like, you know, if you're out on the bus, on the train, whatever, you know, you can put in some grind work while you're traveling and you know yeah yeah exactly it's pretty cool yeah i like to make a statement about vita very briefly um i you know i would love to see them put some more rpgs out there as well but but i will have to but i have to say this i will hope that those rpgs are not straight up ports because uh Mm. you know i i've been playing ninja gaiden sigma plus which is pretty much a port of Ninja Gaiden Sigma, which is a port of Ninja Gaiden, of, of the original Ninja Gaiden. <laughs> and the problem is that a lot of the issues that were wrong with that game, there was no attempt to fix that stuff. Um, of course, they have a few Vita features here and there, but it's not really something that is like a major, like and it has nothing to do that it would, that in a sense that it would influence somebody to buy it. So I will hope that if they make any RPGs stick to making some stuff specifically for Vita or stuff that is for PlayStation 3 and works in tandem with Vita as opposed to it being just a straight-up port because uh, sometimes yeah. it's not a good thing. Yeah, I have, yeah to, I, mean, I have to agree with that because I don't, I, I don't just want to see a bunch of console ports on the Vita. Like, I want to see, you know, 
features that are original, you know, to the Vita, like... Yeah, Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's the difference between, you know, making a game fit to the Vita and making a game for the Vita. Mm. I mean, you can make a square peg into a circle, but if you you make it a circle first, then it's always going to be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, and so um, we'll move on to our new segment that we started last week, and uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit about some Skyrim mods that I've been trying out, <laughs> highlight a few of the big ones that I've really enjoyed that everyone should check out. Uh, I'm going to keep this pretty quick. Uh, first is uh, one that summons an ethereal horse, and so what this adds is a spell that you can uh, purchase that lets you you cast it, and it summons a horse for you that's a, like a ghost, basically. It has a faint outline, and it's kind of foggy, but you can ride it. And uh, there's also an altar in Whiterun where you can customize the horse. You can set its speed. You can set if oh, it's wow. purple, if it's blue, if it's on fire, if it's, uh, you know, all the different kind of customization options for your horse. And then every time you cast a spell, it'll summon the horse. Uh, it doesn't fight for you because as soon as you get off of it, it disappears. But okay. also it's invincible. So while you're riding it, you don't take damage, and you can jump off of any cliff and not take damage. Wow. So I think that makes sense. Uh, the creator of the mod in the description, he makes a good point. If you can't fight on horseback, you shouldn't be able to be killed on horseback. And I agree with that. So <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good it's a good addition. I <coughs> That's the only form of travel that I use now. And, uh, mm. yeah, I love it. The thing is, for some reason... And then also... No, I just had a quick comment. Sorry to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, go ahead. But, like, in Skyrim, for some reason, I didn't ride horses as much as I did in Oblivion. And um, mm. I don't know why. I think Same I, here. I think I just liked the experience of, you know, walking and, you know, taking everything in with the game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Whenever I first played it, I saw a horse stable. And, you know, I had enough money to get a horse, but then... I just I didn't really have a desire to because I would rather just walk everywhere. Hmm. Might be to, to do with the fact that you can't look into oh I can't ride a horse without going into third person. So you can, when, when you're first person, you can actually take everything in for yourself. And you're not looking at your character in front of you, and you're not concentrating on your character and the horse, and you're looking at more of the environment. So that's why probably a lot of us prefer going on foot and staying in first person so they can look at the beautiful setting of Skyrim. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, really riding... Yeah, that, that's a great point. But riding horses as well is, is a little bit clunky, I have to admit. Like, yeah, it's, not <laughs> as, it's not as smooth as I would like it to be as well. Yeah, I feel like they made some... They made a lot of improvements as far as third-person gameplay in general goes. But riding a horse is still kind of odd. Mm. <laughs> um, keeping with the theme of riding stuff, there's another mod for a mount. And uh, it's really cool. Uh, I probably won't use it over the horse one because the horse is cooler. But it's uh, called the Summon Arbored Saber Cat. Um, whenever I looked on the Nexus again, I couldn't find it. It seems like it was taken down. But if it ever gets put back up, you should check it out. It's uh, basically an ice uh, snow uh, leopard type builds like the snow cats that you fight in the mountains, but they put elven armor on it, so it looks really cool. And you don't have to pay for the armor, which is also good. Um, then, uh, oh, I forgot to say the ethereal horse mount that I played, uh, you can get that on the Skyrim uh, workshop. 
on on uh, Steam, which is I think is a great uh, resource that they've added. Where you know you can go onto Steam and search mods. You can search by name. You can search by most downloaded popularity by you know the type of mod it is, and then just click subscribe. The next time you go to launch Skyrim, it'll automatically download and integrate every mod you subscribe to. Wow. So you don't have to go into the files for the game and, you know, manually put the files in there like you used to have to. This is a lot easier, and it just makes everything a lot cleaner. So it's like a built-in, like, mod manager, basically. Yeah, it's built directly into Steam. That's great. Yeah, and then uh, the next few mods are, are kind of uh, easier. They're they're just kind of smaller things. One is Handyman. This one's really funny. It allows you to equip all of the miscellaneous objects. So you can fight with the broom... You can fight with the fork, with the, with the, <laughs> with the shears. You can fight with a shovel, stuff like that. It, it's really funny. And you can you can upgrade them too with the blacksmith. You can uh, on the grindstone. You can make them better, so you can have an exquisite shovel. I think it's awesome. That's funny. Yeah, it's called Handyman, which yeah, is perfect. Like a good idea. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Why can't you fight with a fork? You should be able to, you know. Fight a dragon with a fork. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that beats just holding those items, having them take up space. That's not a yeah, fair exactly. fight, though. <laughs> fight, fighting a dragon with a fork—that's not even a fair fight. But it'd, it'd be, it'd be hilarious to see, though. I'll be sure to record a video for you. Please do. And uh, okay, so next we have the Sounds of Skyrim series. It's a whole yeah. series of mods that this guy's making. He only has two out right now. But the first one is the dungeons, where he adds a lot of ambient sounds. So if you go into, like, a Falmer cave underground, you'll hear, like, the shrieks in the background, and you'll hear weird noises as you kind of travel around. It makes it a lot more immersive. There's another one that he made called uh, The Wilds of Skyrim that add a lot more, like, birds chirping and stuff like that to make it just more immersive, the environment more realistic and stuff like that. He's supposed to be doing some more for, like, towns and different areas and stuff, so everyone should keep an eye on those because it's a whole series he's making. Um, so the fifth one is uh, someone added an arena, which is awesome because that was something that Skyrim was definitely missing. Yeah. Um, after playing Oblivion, I, you know, wanted to fight an arena again. Um, that last that time was I checked, one of the first things I did in Oblivion because, like, you make money so easily by fighting in the arena, so... It was good to have that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, last time I checked, all he has is animals right now. I didn't see if he had any actual um, uh, other types of fighters, like different races. But uh, last time I checked, he just had animals. But it's still fun. Uh, it's in a it's in a good location. And you can get to it easily. And uh, adds, you know, a different a different take on combat. Something else for you to do, which is always good. Then um, the last one I was going to talk about is called Dovaska. It's a floating town that's suspended in the air on a rock, and he's going to add um, a whole bunch of stuff. He's going to add, like, a dragon that lives on the nest up there that's going to be friendly, and you can ride him. I don't think that's added yet. But <laughs> there's an entire town on top of this rock that's floating in the air, and there's a pathway that kind of leads down. On the edge of the town, there's waterfalls to fall over and kind of rain down on the ground below. It's it's really amazing what he did. And so that one everyone should definitely check out. It's really cool. He's going to add a quest for it, too, with the different NPCs up there. And it's going to be awesome. 
And um, before we move on to the spotlight, um, AKQ, I know you've been trying out some mods, so do you want to quickly uh, tell us about one or two? I've got a sure. I've got a hundred. I've got hundreds of mods. Most of them are cosmetic fixes that actually had HD textures that are better than the ones that Bethesda provide us with, and changes to the sound cities make them look more attractive and actually um, give show places like White Run, Windhelm, Winterhold. You know, not Winterhold College, and the towns and villages, actually a true example of Nordic culture and Nordic um, architecture. Realistic water and textures that makes the water look and feel like their real-life counterpart. Realistic lighting, well-lit cities. The well-lit cities adds lampposts, not lamp, yes, lampposts to the towns and lights them up in the dark. Sky UI, which is a must for any PC gamer because it changes the interface to give more detail. Oh, here's a good one. Warzone Civil Unrest. The entire, the whole of Skyrim is littered with war zones that you'll stumble across. You'll be fighting... Littered with what? Be <laughs> littered with war zones. Oh, okay. Chaos. Wow. That's awesome. So, oh, so it's like, <laughs> is that the one where it's like... What do you like... think I said? Is that the one where it's like the um it emphasizes the whole war that's going on kind of thing? Oh yeah. Between there's the... battle there's battle zones all over the place. There's <laughs> legionnaires fighting stormcloaks. There's stormcloaks fighting bandits. There's bandits fighting vampires. There's vampires fighting werewolves. There's <laughs> so it's like Twilight. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Twilight meets Lord of the Rings. Yeah, all the factions are fighting each other and you're caught in the middle and you have to decide on which, who are you going to fight with? Are you going to fight with the vampires? Are you going to... They'll be surprised if they turn on you if you help them. I want to fight with Edward. Yeah. (laughs) You like the glittering vampires, don't you? Oh, and a really funny, silly one. All the dragons... For this mod, all the dragons in Skyrim... I've transformed into Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. Oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> macho Man Sky's the Limit. <laughs> it's so stupid. The dra- oh, this guy's not stupid. It's really funny. The dragons are replaced with giant humans with long arms. He's got Macho Man's boots, Macho Man's hat, Macho Man's beard. And instead of roaring, you say, The sky's the limit! Oh, yeah! <laughs> and that's like, Oh, yeah! And the fire comes out, and the wind, and the ice. And every time you hit him, he says, I'm gonna get ya! I'm gonna get ya! Oh, yeah! <laughs> so, yeah I, I, I need to see some video of that, like, right away. I recommend people check that out just for a good laugh. And of course, there's people have done things with the mud crabs, like the posh mud crabs. They have top hats and reticles. There's swearing mud crabs. (laughs) And there's a mod which turns every living being, the NPCs, the animals, the enemies, and the playable character, they all become mud crabs. Alright, well, we'll talk about more mods on a future episode, on the next episode. So, Dave, what's next on the agenda? Uh, next is our spotlight. We've already touched on it a little bit since this whole episode is kind of themed around Mass Effect. But we're going to spotlight the previous games in the series, Mass Effect 1 and 2, 
And so everyone just, you know, kind of talk about what you've liked best about the series, what, what got you into it, why you're so excited for three, uh, your favorite DLC, um, anything like that. All right. So let's start with Mass Effect 1. Now, uh, Dave, you was like the latest person to play this game. So I think you should start off by, you know, speaking on Mass Effect 1 quickly and, you know, we'll chime in. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, for me, the biggest thing was I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it because I, I like Star Wars, you know, I'm, I'm a fan, but I wouldn't consider myself a huge junkie as far as sci-fi stuff goes. And it's never really drawn to me that much. I never got into anything really that had to do with space too much. So I was surprised by how much I enjoyed Mass Effect. And I think part of the reason was because at its heart, it was really just a quality RPG. And so the characters I enjoyed, I actually wanted to talk to everybody. I loved doing all the quests. I never skipped any of the dialogue like I do in some RPGs. It gets kind of boring. I listened to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything was just fantastic, and the gameplay was great on top of it. Uh, so for me, it was just the whole package. It just it just really brought me in, and I never regretted playing it. It was it was great. The first one, I, I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, I can't agree with you more because um, I mean I like the, the theme of I like the topic of space travel and you know space exploration. But, you know, I've, I've never really divulged into it as much as I could. Like, I liked Star Wars, obviously. But, you know, Star Trek and stuff, I never got into all that. But Mass Effect, you know, it made me think about space and other life forms. And, you know, it made me care about them as well. So, you know, I really loved that game. I loved the choices it gave you, the, the control you had, really. You know, when you became, when you first became a Spectre, like, that was awesome. When you was, the first time you're in control of the Normandy and you can just go anywhere, like, that felt amazing. Yeah, just to, to chime off what you said, that was the big kicker for me. Once you, you know, took up the reign as a Spectre and was able to travel around, uh, that really did it for me. Uh, I normally um, don't really play too many RPG games, but like I said, when I first picked up this game, yeah, I was hooked. The, the dialogue, the characters, the story, all of this stuff is, you know, pretty much made it a game that you, not only do you care about the characters, but you actually want to explore every single aspect of it, whether it be talking to other people or even trying different scenarios to see what the outcome is. Uh, it is that type of game. Uh, I will add that, um, yeah, I, w- I was very surprised by some things that did happen as the story progressed. You know, <laughs> particular characters being offed early. Uh, you Tell know. us about that. Oh, well, yeah, you know, we'll go back to the instance in which uh, you have your little conflict with uh, with Rex. And, you know, you're basically trying to reason with Rex. Well, in my particular story, you know, I tried to reason with Rex. And it was very unsuccessful uh, because... <laughs> Although I believe that I had all the power and control, lo and behold, Ashley comes out of nowhere and just cold cocks him in the back of the head, kills the character. <laughs> I was like, well, wow. I mean, that's, this is just, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. They didn't even give, give him a chance, you know. And, you know, it was just so cold-blooded the way she did because, you know, you would think one shot is it, but then you're going to shoot the character once he's down, too? I mean, well... Damn. <laughs> but you know, um, 
stuff like that was just a surprise. You, you had instances where you had to obviously make a choice so as, as to which character you wanted to save between Ashley and Caden. Sorry, Caden, but, uh, you know, I was trying to holler at Ashley, so therefore, <laughs> sorry, man. Just uh, bad luck for you. But, um, you know, I think it's really interesting that that's how your game ended up because, you know, I was trying to get with Ashley as well. And for me, I had talked to her before I talked to Rex, and I calmed her down. And then whenever I talked with Rex, I was able to reason with him, and he didn't get killed. And so I think it's really interesting the way the game, like, changes based on what you do. Yeah, but, I mean, well, perhaps that's, uh, that's the best part of Mass Effect, the whole series. You know, the way your choices affect, you know, different characters and the world, the universe itself. What was you saying, Rex? Exactly. No, 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 I was saying, yeah, exactly, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, I don't know if any of you guys... Uh, tried to reason or side with, um, what is that, that final boss's name again? Saren. Saren? Saren, yeah. I don't know if any of you guys actually tried to defend Saren or, you know, if you went against the council or what. I, uh, of course, you know, Saren, I made him out to be the villain, so I just, just went after him and, you know, I didn't listen to what he said, stuff like that. We'll see later on how, how that affects moving forward. But I don't know if any of you guys had any similar experiences or if you or if that was changed for 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 any of you. Well, I played multiple times and um the my first playthrough I just straight up killed him, you know, like I didn't I wasn't trying to hear anything he had to say. I didn't like him. I wanted to get rid of him. <laughs> so, you know, I just went after him. But in another save that I had, I actually reasoned with him. And, um, I mean, do you want me to tell you what happens or? Yeah, what happens unless anyone, like, anyone else objects to, to hearing that. Yeah, you, you no, actually, go ahead. you yeah, actually, I'm, um, I'm pretty sure everyone's made it by now. Yeah, so what happens is you actually reason with him and you actually get through to him. But then, you know, cause he's indoctrinated the Reaper or Sovereign, you know, it takes control of him. You know, once he, once you've reasoned with him, it takes control of him again and it makes him shoot himself. So he kills himself. Oh. And then, of course, you have the boss battle where, you know, Sovereign fully takes over his body. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened to me as well. Wow. Yeah. So he, so he, so he destined to die anyway. <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting to know that you actually got through to him and, you know, managed to change his perspective, you know, but it's just the, because the Reapers are so powerful, he couldn't help it, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's a sign of what's to come. So what, so what about uh, you, AKQ? Well, this is about Mass Effect 1 firstly. What brought me into it, I think, you know, Bioware's history of Baldur's Gate, Jade Empire, uh, Neverwinter Nights, Star Wars Nights the Old Republic, they introduce you into the immense, beautiful new universes. I mean, Mass Effect was going to work with something special when it came out. It was in a league of its own when this generation started. It, it brought you into... Outer space, I think, is the best setting that anyone could ask for in video gaming because the limits really your imagination. Even though you are presented with an environment that you're playing in, even though you have a setting, it's yeah. outer space. You, you, you are the one that controls the story. It's you, it's your imagination that fuels what you do in the game. And yes, you can see characters, 
you can see it's not like a space exploration game like X3 Terran Conflict where you can't really you can go anywhere you want in X3 Terran Conflict it doesn't matter in Mass Effect because it's a bit more stronger you're you see people more you interact with more people more from pre- different species like, it presents the issues to you for you to react to like you know it pushes the scenarios to you that's why I lo- that's what I like because you know like you mentioned there are other there are a lot of other great space games out there but you know oh, yeah. a lot of them are free roam and you just kind of do your own thing and you know it, it's, it would be more like a Skyrim sort of thing where you you are in control of what you do and where you go but with Mass Effect, you know, it pushes the actual story element to you. You know, it, it makes, it presents you with the conflict and, you know, that's yeah. what it does well. Yeah, exactly. And it's still, lim- and it's still limited by your imagination because this has come up from somebody's, to the top of somebody's head. It's influenced by Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Andromeda, Babylon 5, all these these great science fiction opera productions and it's rolled into Mass Effect while at the same time doing something completely new and completely different. Let's talk about what's that place? The Citadel? Yeah. Oh, what an amazing place. When I first gazed eyes on it on gazed eyes on it in Mass Effect 3, I thought, okay, I'm in for something special. I am going to have fun with this game. <laughs> there, there's so much to explore in just the Citadel. Like, no, I spent, I spent, I must have spent hours there the first time I was there, just yeah. so, soaking everything in, talking to everybody. You know, like it's it's amazing. Like the first yeah, time you play the game, there, there's nothing like the first time you play Mass Effect One. Like it's just, it was just incredible. Yeah, the power of Bioware in their past careers. Bioware, yeah, they know how to entice the fans into a whole new fantasy realm, and. This science fiction fantasy realm is no exception. I mean, they've pulled it off absolutely superbly. Let's talk a bit more about the gameplay of Mass Effect since we covered the setting a bit more. We saw third-person shooting, we saw role-playing, and then we saw a mixture of the two. Um, not, I wouldn't say um, it didn't merge the two as well as a, a um, Mass Effect true no, I was about to say a true-blooded role-playing game like um, okay. Neverwinter Nights or Knights of the Old Republic, but because they didn't quite get it there yet, because it was their first game. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I didn't wasn't a big fan of the whole micromanagement thing because they, you were you were, you were putting a lot of your equipped your gathered items away, the stuff that you really didn't need. And it was sometimes there was just too much to go through, too much armor, too many weapons, and a lot of them had the same effect. There was only a few that were really powerful. They didn't quite get it yet there yet, but yeah, I agree. It, it did work well as a. Sh- it worked as uh, overall, I'd say it worked better as a role-playing game than it did as a shooter. But they yeah. picked, but they took Mass Effect Two and they picked up on that. They took what was wrong with Mass Effect 1 and threw that out the window and improved on Mass Effect 2, and they just nailed it on the head with Mass Effect 2. Yeah, so I guess that's the perfect segue to go into Mass Effect 2 now. So, Dave, um, you played that most recently, like, through the whole game. So what did you think playing Mass Effect 
too. I thought it was easily one of the best games I've ever played. Um, just like AKQ was saying, it took everything that Mass Effect 1 did, got rid of the stuff that it didn't do that great, or improved on it, and then just made all the stuff that it did well better. And for me, it was just incredible to see all the choices that you can make and how they played out. And uh, since I played 1 and 2 back-to-back, all of the choices I made were really fresh in my mind. And so every time I got like an email from someone in Mass Effect 2, I would, I would immediately remember that person from the first game and think, oh wow, you know, I just did that. That's awesome that the game's <laughs> recognizing that. <laughs> I, I love, and, uh, I love little things like that. You oh. know, where they make reference to something you did in the previous game. Like, I love Oh that. yeah, and I, I forgot what planet I was on, but I remember when that one Asari came up to me. And uh, the queen of the Rachni was channeling through her, and she communicated yeah. with me. That part was so awesome, where she says, you know, we haven't forgotten what you've done. You know, we will pay you back in due time. And mm. for me, that just made me so excited to see what happens in Mass Effect 3 with that. Well, that was actually quite a moving scene as well, because when you saw the Rachni in the first game, and you made the decision to let them live. You made that decision there, yet you were not going to commit genocide. You weren't going to kill an entire species yeah. because of people's selfishness and ignorance. And then when you got that message in Mass Effect 2, it was so moving because you knew that the Rachni were about to start again as a whole new species and become part of the community what is it, community of outer space once again. And see that... I mean, the great thing about it is whenever you make that decision, even though you make it for the right reasons where you think, okay, you know, I'm going to let them live. And, you know, maybe everyone didn't make that decision. I know some people killed them off. Uh, <laughs> but I know that, you know, whenever you make the decision to make them live, the first time I made that decision, I honestly was scared. I didn't know if they were just going to break out of that chamber and then destroy me. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, see, that's another element I love, like the unpredictability. You don't know what choices, you know, what your, what effect your choices will have. So I love that. Yeah, and so that that scene in Mass Effect 2, whenever if I first found out that it was the Rachni talking to me, I was also a little skeptical. I was sort of thinking, okay, maybe this Asari's going to murder me now. <laughs> but then, you know, whenever the message comes through, I realized that I actually made the right decision. And so, so it's do you really... Think, do you think they're going to help you with the battle in Mass Effect 3? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I know I've read some stuff, and Bioware has confirmed that they play a big part if you let them win. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I think that's that was probably one of my favorite moments from Aspect 2, um, and the vanilla game itself. Also, the very end, where you get to decide what to do with the collector's base, I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, then Arrival and Lair of the Shadow Broker were both equally amazing. Uh, that game was just, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just so incredible. Do you feel that Mass Effect 2, like, as a whole, had a lot less game-changing choices than the first game did? Well, it's kind of hard to know without playing 3, because you don't know if some of the smaller choices you made in 2 have big consequences yet. But and it, will, and it, it will be some major consequences changed. Uh, what about the end, when you have to make that decision well, about what to do with that information? But will it be as effective? Will it actually make you care what decision that you made before what will occur in Mass Effect 3? 
because from the demo, the writing wasn't that as impactful. None of the events were as impactful. They didn't actually get to you as much as the stuff in Mass Effect 2 did. But then again, it is a demo. We'll have to see if there are a bit more moving, more... What's the word? More gripping scenes and more gripping dialogue that actually entice you into believing that all the decisions you made up to that point will make you feel will give your game a special sort of a special sort of leeway for you to complete it fully and get a rewarding ending out of it. You I get think, what I mean? Yeah, I think part of it for me is, you know, playing the demo, you're not playing your shepherd and you're not playing in the world that's filled with the decisions that you made. So like for a lot of people, you know, if you're playing the demo from Effect Three and you let Ashley die, it's kind of weird to play the demo and see Ashley because she's doesn't she doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think a demo from Effect it's kind of hard to do because the the reason why people play it is for the characters and for the story, but without knowing what decisions you made, it's hard to make a demo based on the characters and based on the story. This this is true. And that's what kind of makes so, me not want to play the demo, to be honest. Like, it, it, make, it makes me a bit hesitant. Although I, I really do want really to try it, but, you know, it's just... I just I just want the final game. Which means it pays for the gameplay more than anything else. Yeah. So you may not have much to worry about. But if that's the... If that what we played the demo, if that was the opening to the full game, then... Oh, I don't like it. Yeah, I really, really, really hope that that's not the actual introduction because it was very bland. <laughs> I I don't know what I'll say if that's how it actually opens up. I'm going to be very disappointed. Well, I got a, I got a question going back to Mass Effect 2. Now, I would say this, but I don't know if, 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 if there is an agreement. Did you guys enjoy the final mission? When you have to basically determine which character, you know, which role they play in successfully completing that mission, and would you want to see more of that in Mass Effect 3? Because I think a lot of that may be in Mass Effect 3, but I'm not for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see some of that. Definitely. uh, There has, like, to be honest with you, there has to be some deaths, like, because it won't correctly represent the struggle if no characters that you care for die so yeah they they have to have that like people have to die in this i think not to mention that entire species are involved yeah what you have to make the decision of the existence of one species to another now that would be impactful that would be quite an upsetting scene because you were actually you'd be in a way responsible for the genocide of an entire people i mean i can i can definitely see ways where that could happen like you could maybe you could work with morden and completely eradicate the krogan oh god that'd be horrible i mean i could see it be, i could see it being a possible quest though and i think that they they are definitely going to do something like that because there was a um that like when i played the early earlier demo at Eurogamer last year you like the mission they presented you with was actually to do with morden and the, um the whole genophage thing so i actually think that's a possibility yeah another thing for me is um i i hope shepherd dies at the end well <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> well i guess if he won't die in every ending 
because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of different endings, but I think it would be very appropriate if you have to sacrifice yourself to destroy the Reapers. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be part of one of the best endings. Yeah, more on the Reapers. The demo didn't really make them make me feel scared of them. Yeah. I mean, in Mass sure. Effect 1 and 2, they were looked up, they were built up as gods. In Mass Effect 1, Sovereign was actually worshipped as a god. In Mass Effect 2, their influence on other species, like the Collectors, was more terrifying than their actual physical presence. I think they should have... I think in Mass Effect 3, a lot more emphasis should have been on their influence and their quote-unquote demonic divinity on and how they um, are able to manipulate other more weaker mortal species into doing their bidding and then and then impose their physical presence and impose and then that way you'll find that these things are unstoppable unbeatable they are they will see that their physical presence and their influence shows that they are godlike and they are unstoppable and it will give you this more desperate this feeling of desperation that these reapers are really out to exterminate once again but when that, when you saw Mass Effect 3, all they did was blow things up. Really. They're just big tanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah just... I, I agree. They definitely need to work on the build-up. You know, because we... I mean, even Mass Effect 2, I have to say, didn't really you know, make you fear the Reapers like that. Even though they were barely in it, you know, but it didn't make you... Yeah, that's, f- that, was, that was the point, wasn't it? Yeah. You didn't see many Reapers... But you knew what they were capable of, even yeah. though they never actually came to this um, came out of dark space until this point. That to me was a bit more terrifying than them just blowing buildings up. Yeah, because like in the first game, it just it made you really terrified of what these things can do. You know, yeah, like, I mean, it took an entire everyone on the entire fleet, the entire Alliance fleet, to destroy one Reaper. Mm, exactly. So. I don't know how they're going to explain a full-on war, but yeah, so I I hope they do some more, I like what Assad was saying, and do a lot of the psychological stuff and explore mm-hmm. that a lot more, because I know the ending of Arrival was really well done. Have you played that yet, Gary? Yeah, I played that. Um, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I really liked that, yeah. That was good. Yeah, the, where the Reaper comes and speaks to you, and he says, you know, everything you've done here is in vain. We're going to come regardless of what you do <laughs> and we're going to murder all of you mm. that's and chilling it's really just it just set the stage so perfectly <laughs> for Mass Effect 3 and I really hope they play off with some of that stuff more yeah that time was that that time when you speak to the Reaper and Arrival that was on par with you know the very first time you speak to them in Mass Effect 1 um, when you speak to someone yeah, for yeah. the first time like that was on that level that sent chills down my spine. I didn't yeah. even—he wasn't even there. We just saw a hologram of him, and even that, yeah. I was terrified. These things are these god machines are coming out to destroy all life. How are they going to do it? We don't know. And uh, you knew that Mass Effect was about stopping these gods. That's what they were. They were—they're gods. Well, at yeah. least that's what Mass Effect One and Two said they were. What do you guys think about the Protheans? Like, do you think there's more to learn about them? I mean, I know they're collectors now, but 
do you think that there's more that I, we can? Yeah, I think I think the fact that um, they became they we found out in Mass Effect Two is that they were transformed into collectors kind of negates the law behind the Protheans. It's not that important now, which is a shame because I like to know more about the Protheans because they had an empire which spanned across the entire galaxy. And I'd like to see them play, even though they're extinct now, I'd like to see them play some form of the, some sort of um, influence on the, on the main character, like telling him he's the chosen one or something. Something along those lines. Maybe giving him an advanced weapon, a holy grail weapon that only the Protheans are able to carry. Yeah. And uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, I'd actually like to see a Prothean. I'd actually like to see what one looks like. Maybe a, a, maybe a downloadable content, the last Prothean or something. Or maybe the last Prothean appears in Mass Effect 3. Should they allow it? I don't know. So I was kind of ashamed, I was kind of um, disappointed that in Mass Effect 2, the proteins weren't as important as they were in Mass Effect 1. Well, wait a second, though. What did y'all think about the news about the From Ashes DLC? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if Asad knows about that, so I don't know if he wants us to spoil it. <laughs> no, no, tell it, tell him, man, because I want to hear ahead. his reaction. I want to hear his reaction to this. Wait, let me just get some popcorn. No, uh, no, this ain't going to be good, Jack. I don't know if I should be the one to tell him. Why don't you tell him, David? <sighs> all right, That's all right. Are you sitting down? Hold on, let me get comfortable. Okay. <laughs> so, a let few me days ago... Let me take micro- a breath. Let okay, me okay, breath. okay. <laughs> let me just get a clear state of mind. All right, all right. Remember, Bioware, you love them. Baldur's Gate 2, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'm playing Baldur's Gate 2 right now, and I love it. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they- okay, okay, we're good. Do it. Okay, so a few days ago... Microsoft accidentally, well, in quotes, accidentally, let leak a DLC for Mass Effect 3. few things to say about that. First is that it's already coming. Um, whoever gets the Collector's Edition gets that DLC on day one. So it's already ready. It's already made. Second is that that proves that they have content that's already made that's not going to the full game. And this DLC was called From Ashes, and it involves you getting a Prothean squad member. So, so they took content. They took content that was already made and made it DLC instead. Yes. That's right. And there's a picture of him. What? Yeah, there's already a picture. What? Yeah. What? Uh, by the way, I, w- I would like to add one one little small bit of it, of information. Uh, as in general format, uh, they have come out and publicly said that uh, this was made after the game was done. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They they did come out and say that. In uh, wait, they said even what? Forbes, whatever. Even uh, Forbes magazine came out and apologized for having uh, also as- talked made reference to that to that story there's no oh. way man there's no way because if, if you're offering this as day one DLC Dang. 
Thanks for ruining my. De- oh, there's a Prothean right there. I don't. I don't, I don't believe. Oh man. Said rich because they announced that this was going to come with the collector's edition months ago. Yep. Mm. They just said mystery character, and then of course there you go, Microsoft. Thank you once again. Then not only did they leak that, but you remember when they leaked the demo a couple months ago. For a couple of hours, it was on Xbox Live, and you know you had to catch it at that particular time. Some people took advantage of that, others didn't. So, yeah, special shout out to Microsoft on that one. Yes, <laughs> shout out to Microsoft for destroying the one thing that got me going for Mass Effect, the the, the most interesting, the most thought provoking, the most immersive part of Mass Effect all. <laughs> Wait, why why doesn't this get you more excited? Because this is what you wanted. <laughs> Wait, AKQ, did you pre-order the game on Origin? Oh, I'm sorry, did did I pre-order it on Origin? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of reluctant to use Origin. Oh, okay. So, you, like, you, you pre-ordered? Did you get the collector's edition? No, oh. I don't think I don't think I got it on. No, I don't have it on Origin just yet. Oh, okay. Are you getting it on Origin? I'll have to, won't I? You have to play Mass Effect 3 on Origin. Yeah, even if you buy it physically, you have to register on Origin, which is what I'm going to have to do. Mm. <laughs> That's how Amalor was whenever I got my review copy in the mail. Even after I put the disc in, I still had to redeem it on Origin. Oh, man. Are you serious? <sighs> yeah. Even, even the console version. Oh, yeah, yeah, even console, you have to set up an account, that's right. Oh, what? yeah, I, oh, okay, so i got to set up an account for Mass Effect 3 as well, then. Yep. Oh, that so, sucks. So basically, like, the Cerberus network is now Origin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. A Protean squad member. I can't believe it. <laughs> it, doesn't af- it doesn't affect me as much as it should, just because I'm getting the Collector's Edition, so I'm excited. Uh, but... But, but, but here's... Here's a question, though. How, how is this different from what they did with Mass Effect 2 and Zahid? You remember Zahid? That was a character that was tacked on at the last second as well. Oh, yeah, that mercenary band. No, but yeah. see, he's, he's a random white guy. This is a Prothean. <laughs> <laughs> An extinct species. The entire the- first game was based on this species. And whether or not they were eradicated by something that didn't even exist. No. I think this is a little bit bigger than a guy with a lazy eye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess the point is, it's like, you know, they are kind of forcing extra, you know, extra revenue for themselves. Because either you have to get the collector's edition or you have to buy this, you know, you have to buy this extra Uh, DLC. And, 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 and by the way, there, there will be some more DLC. Um, they, that, that has already been made clear as well. They, oh, we, they said, we know that. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we know this, so, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I'm I, excited for the collector's edition. I feel like it's definitely worth the extra 20 bucks. It's comes with, you know, the soundtrack. It's got a comic book. It's got that, the extra DLC, it has tons of extra weapons. You get a robotic dog on the Normandy. You get mm. 
all kinds of stuff. So. Oh, and you know what? I I, I agree with that a hundred percent as well. It, it is worth the it is worth the extra twenty dollars. You know, I also went on ahead and I reserved the collector's edition for The Witcher Two as well. But uh, I I will say this. Uh, you know, anyone that listens to this podcast. If they haven't pre-ordered the collector's edition, well, it's too late now because I was at Best Buy this past week when I got my Vita. And it was a guy just now trying to get the collector's edition. He was very pissed that they had no more in stock. So, you know, they warned people before about this. So I'm just saying, anyone listens to this, if you had any thoughts of getting collector's edition, if you didn't pre uh Reserve it ahead of time. Well, you might be out of luck now. <laughs> See, I'm like, <sighs> but 70, 70 pounds is a lot though for us, personally. Seventy pounds is a ripoff. Mm. How much? How much is a game normally? Usually, like say, like a new game is usually like for a game this big, it's usually like forty pounds. But there are games that come out that are like thirty-five or thirty pounds. Oh well, wait a second. Well, hold on a second. So you mean to tell me that they actually have a price barriers different for games that come out over there than they do here? Because every game that comes out is sixty dollars. Yeah, yeah. It, it, over here. Even Rayman really... Origins was sixty dollars. Mm. Uh, over here. Over here, it varies. Like especially mm. where you get it from. Like it varies. And it, it also depends on the game. Like, they offer a lot of games that they think people won't buy much at a cheaper rate. So, you know, in that aspect, I really love how they do things over here. But at the same time, you know, £70 for a new game, I mean, for a collector's edition, it's like, it's a bit much considering what we... That's a lot of money. So yeah. how much was the Skyrim collector's edition over there? That was like a 100 and something... Think. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's oh. insane, insanity. Well, it might have been just a hundred. Because yeah, it was one fifty here. Man, I, man, ain't no way in hell I'll be paying that much for no collector's edition. Yeah, a hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, that that wasn't really that worth it. I don't think either. Yeah, but, but you get the cool dragon in there. <laughs> yeah. <That's> just, <laughs> You know what you can do? You can find a bunch of them for free in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is true. You're right about that. <laughs> All right, yeah, so um, that pretty much covers it um, for upcoming Mass Effect 3. If everyone hasn't figured it out by now, we're all excited, and you should be excited too. Even though you can't get the collector edition anymore, you should still go buy it. Yeah. And expect a... Hear another turn base coming up pretty soon after Mass Effect 3. Hear our impressions about it. And keep an eye out for that review. Mm, it'll probably be like coalition. four weeks. It'll probably be like four weeks late because I'm going to play Mass Effect 3 like four times. So, you know. <laughs> That's yeah, understandable. Uh, He's <laughs> he definitely joking now. <laughs> we, should, we should do a second, third, and fourth opinion from everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Just so yeah. we can all talk about how awesome it is, hopefully. Most well, certainly. Hopefully, it is awesome. So that's all it. right. I, so, yeah, that's it. Everyone, take care and have fun playing RPGs. Yeah, I would like that's to thank um, Richard and AKQ for being on the show again. It's really cool to have you guys. Thanks, hey, thanks for yeah. having us on the show. Yeah.
Great to be here again. That's right. Thanks for having us.